All right. Book of Jude. Book of Jude. There's the notification. Book of Jude. All right. For for the average person sitting in the pew, when uh, a sermon goes horribly, horribly wrong, I think the they may, when they get in the car, they may talk about it, say, well, that was garbage, he's an idiot, uh, that's a waste of time. Uh, that may happen, but I'm, I'm assuming for most of the time, the people who listen uh, in the pew, by the time they get home, they've already forgotten about it. Uh, they, they have lunch, maybe they take a nap, and it's, it's over. For the person who did preach the sermon, it's not over. It's not over in any way, shape, or form. It eats at you and eats at you and eats at you and eats at you and eats at you. So you may go back and restudy everything. You may spend hours and hours and hours going, what, what, what did I do wrong? What did I mess up? Okay, how did I get that wrong? Where did, I, where, where did everything go so horribly wrong? And, and then you, you rant and you, you yell about it and you scream about it. You don't know what happened. You don't know what happened. And, and you're like, Ugh. everyone else has already moved on. Everyone else has already moved on. They don't care. So, uh, but... So sometimes when that happens, when you come back the next week, you're like, okay, how do I approach this? So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming everyone is very familiar with the term mulligan, right? If, if anyone's ever played golf, okay, a mulligan is defined as an in, in informal golf, an extra stroke allowed after a poor shot, not counted on the scorecard. Right? So it's like, Seth, that was horrible. I don't know what that was. But hey, go ahead. Mulligan. It's just, basically, it's a do-over. And we're not even going to count. It doesn't even show up on the, on the scorecard. So today is a mulligan. Today is a do-over. And it doesn't count on the scorecard. Because last week got deleted before I left the pulpit. All right? As soon as the sermon was over, I was already... Delete, 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 delete. It may be somewhere on the internet, but I think I got it from 99% of the internet. It was deleted. So, another definition of a mulligan. A mulligan is a second chance to perform an action, usually after the first chance went wrong. Okay, well, the first chance went wrong. It went wrong either because of bad luck, well, I don't believe in bad luck, or a blunder, okay, possibly, it's best used, it's best known use is in golf, whereby it refers to a player being allowed only informally to replay a stroke, although that is against the formal rules of golf. So this may be against the formal rules of preaching, but we're going to violate the formal rules of preaching and we're going to do a do-over and see if we can put this together. Now, when all of you were at home Sunday afternoon doing whatever you were doing, I, I spent three hours on the air redoing Jude, okay? I reviewed two sermons. I uh, examined countless outlines. I did everything I could possibly do. And I still was baffled and confused by everything. So we're going to start all the way over and see if we can put this together. And this, this is the do-over. So you cannot count it on the official scorecard. Is that, do I have everyone's agreement? They won't count it. All right. If this one goes wrong, there's not another mulligan. So everything rides that this one goes right. Okay, everything rides on this one going right. We will see. We will see. I hope this goes right, but we will see. Everybody ready? Okay, first and foremost, 
So you have the book of Jude open. I want everyone to look carefully at verse 3. I want today to ponder verse 3. I want you to just say, verse 3 is my friend. I want you to become very acquainted with verse 3. All right? Because Jude verse 3 says this. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, if I go back to the very first sermon that we uh, preached on Jude, it was, see, how far back do we go? It was on, let's see here, like March the 6th. So we started all of this in March, okay? Now we're in June, on June the 12th, all right? So starting way early, way early in our study, I started trying to establish over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again that uh, this verse was the hermeneutical key. Now, it feels like every time I, 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 I go back to this, that there's a disconnect somewhere, but I cannot stress to you the importance of this. Let me state it again. Jude verse 3 establishes that the letter was designed to get those who were spiritually secure to contend for the faith, because that's what it actually says should earnestly contend for the faith, right? There's sometimes, I understand there can be disagreements about the purpose of the book. I understand, right? You can get 50 commentaries, and everybody's like, no, it's this, this is the purpose. But Jude should be the one book everyone should be in universal agreement about because it literally says what the purpose of the book is. But I have now listened to, it feels like, 23 million sermons on it. And everyone ignores the purpose of the book. On Sunday afternoon, last Sunday, where I spent three hours on the air working on this, I reviewed two sermons from a seminary. Right? From a seminary where they establish the purpose of the book is to get you to contend for the faith. But before you get even three seconds into the sermon, they ignore the contending for the faith, and turn it into beware. Don't follow the false teachers. Don't, or you're going to be judged. Beware. Stay away from homosexuality. And I'm like, this is not the purpose of the book. And I'm like, why does everyone ignore the purpose of the book? So I've got to establish it again. The purpose of the book is to get those who are spiritually secure and the ones who are spiritually secure are the ones he's writing to, correct? Because they are, they are told, we are told what about the people that he's writing to? Sanctified, Sanctified preserved, and called. They're spiritually secure. He's, it's not writing like, hey, God, hey, like if I'm writing to Twyla and I'm like, hey, you're preserved, you're sanctified, you're called, okay? I need you to contend for the faith. That's different than saying, hey, Twyla, look, look, look. False teachers are in the church. Don't follow them or you're going to be destroyed. That's completely goes against the purpose of the book. And that's the hermeneutical key. That's the hermeneutical key. I cannot stress that enough. That's the hermeneutical key. So why is it, in my estimation, that so many will say that's the, 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 the purpose of the book only to ignore that through the preaching of the book? 
That's an important question. Why do so many acknowledge the purpose of the book is to get you to contend for the faith, but in the preaching of the book, it turns into, be careful, beware of false teachers. Don't follow the false teachers. Beware, don't follow homosexuality. Don't do this. Don't, and I'm like, what has happened? I, my argument is, after listening to about 25 billion sermons, is the way they outline the book. Because they group everything from like verse 4 to 17. They just cram it together. They make no distinction. And when there's no distinction, I, I perceive there to be problems. So when I, uh, so, so I think that's the hermeneutical key. And I think the, the, the reason everyone ignores the, the hermeneutical key is how they outline. So, in fact, the sermon that I was reviewing, they're outlined went from verse 4. To verse, I think he I think he even included 17, 4 to 17, just gripped it all together. And I'm like, well, maybe that's why you're not preaching the purpose of the book. All right. Um, when I initially wrote my first outline, um, I, I wrote down verses 5 through 16, right? My initial outline. And, I'm, and I, because all the different books, this is what they say. Verse 5 to 16, I'll just give you one. Exposure of false teachers. So they describe all 5 through 16 all as one thing, all doing what? Exposing the false teachers. So therefore, the, that when they start preaching, how do they preach it? Warning you of false teachers. And I think that that goes against the purpose of the book. Because the purpose of the book is not the exposure of the false teachers. The purpose of the book is to get those who are spiritually secure secure to contend with the false teachers. Now, if your job is to get people to contend with false teachers, you need to do two things. Everybody ready? First, you've got to motivate people to contend. And secondly, you have to help them identify who they are contending with. Hmm. You gotta motivate and you gotta identify. I wonder, I wonder how Jude could accomplish both of those things. First of all, does everyone understand those are very different things? To motivate is different than to identify. So I wonder how Jude could pull that off. Well, we'll get we'll we'll answer that in a minute. So, first thing I want you to remember is the hermeneutical what's the hermeneutical key? What's the, what's the key? It's designed to get those who are spiritually secure to contend. It's not a warning. It's an exhortation. Right? We even looked up all the Greek words for all of that. Right? So we, I think we, I tried to establish that week after week after week. But a lot of times when we would come back, it would feel like, what am I missing? Well, how, how are how people, I, all I can do is beg you to understand. Now, if you disagree, that's perfectly okay. You can make the purpose of the book whatever you want. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, we're, we're, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. But that's what I believe the purpose of the book is. All right. I, I, I'm, I will be dogmatic about that. Does that make sense? Now, next, I have a very important rule that I apply to all outlining. It's a very important hermeneutical rule. I know Twyla is very aware of the rule because we talk about it all the time. What is that rule, Twyla? No interpretation can appear in your outline. If you are outlining and you're like, well, wait a minute. If I take that and I go back and look at that, and then I, I do that. 
I think that connects to that. The minute, the minute you start doing that, what are you doing? You're interpreting. If you can't just observe it clearly from just right there, right? Then if you have to start looking something up and doing cross-references and pulling verses together, going, well, if you go back to that story, that connects to that, and that connects to that, you're no longer outlining. You're doing what? You're interpreting. You're studying. What's, the outline is simply supposed to take what's in the text and do what? Put it on paper so that you can do what? Look at it, and then when you start studying it, what can you do? Oh, when you start studying, you can go, look, if I take that and I take that, that could be, that could be grouped together, right? But you, only, you can't do that in an outline unless the text just obviously, you don't even have to look anything up. You can just read it and go, oh, okay. But if you're, if you're like, well, wait a minute, if I go back here and I go back here, the minute that's happening, look, if, if, put it this way, if you're outlining and I see this, you're not outlining. You're interpreting. Hey, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I am absolute dogmatic about that rule because the minute your outline becomes an interpretive tool, then guess what? You're now, guess what you just placed in the text? Your interpretation. And guess what may not be in your text? Your interpretation. But guess what will always be in the text? The text. So if I can observe the text, then I can always be protected for an interpretation's being imposed on the text. So that's just a strong rule that I have. We repeat that all the time. So number one, hermeneutical key, the content. Number two, the outline rule, only observation, no interpretation. If you start looking things up, now it may be, listen, I want to make it very clear. It may be a great idea. It may be the best idea in the history of hermeneutics. You may have found the answer that has been, no one has found in 2,000 years of church history. But if it's an interpretation, where do you place it? In the study of the text, not in the outlining of the text. Does that make, does that make sense? All right. I hope it does. Okay. All right. Now, because a lot of times in my, in my outline, I will be immediately accused, you're missing something. Would you let me finish studying the text? And then guess what you may discover? I didn't miss anything. I'm just not placing it in the outline, right? Does that, does that make sense? All right. Now, now we come to the outline question. So we have the hermeneutical key. We have the outline rule. Now we come to the outline question. How do we outline the book? Now, I am very painfully aware, painfully aware after, and I, you think I'm exaggerating. I don't even know how many sermons I've listened to on Jude, okay? And I can't even tell you how many outlines I've looked at. I've got outlines right here. I could go through all of them. I, got, I don't even know how many outlines I have on my iPad, okay? I am painfully aware that everyone wants to desperately to group either verse 4 to 16 or 4 to 17 or 5 to 16 or 5 to 17 all together. I know everyone wants to do that. I am painfully aware of that. Okay? And I, and I understand that I'm going against everyone. That's perfectly okay. I'm used to doing that. All right? But I have a reason for it. 
right? So in my mulligan today, in my start over, I'm going to try to explain my reason. You may disagree, that's perfectly okay, but I'm going to do my very best to explain my reasoning, right? So here is what I have seen. Well, I took the outline question and I just, I, went, I looked everywhere, right? I, and I typically went to seminaries and Bible colleges to see how they handled it. That's where I went, right? Because, yeah, that's where, because I just thought that's the best place because they're the ones teaching how to interpret and how to, how to use hermeneutical rules, right? So this is what I've, I saw. First, four to possibly 19, group it all together and say it all describes the false teachers. Four to 19, say it's all descriptive and all it does is describe false teachers. So when I read... Go back to Jude, if you're, I mean, I'm assuming you're still there, okay? So when I, when I look at uh, what happened to Israel leaving Egypt, that that's describing the false teachers that they don't believe. When I go to verse 6, and the angels just kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, refers to false teachers, Right? And that Sodom and Gomorrah is describing the false teachers. Everything in it is false teachers. Everything. Go, verse 4, they're, 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 they're described as ungodly men who turn the lascivious, lascivious, grace of God into lasciviousness. All the way, just everything is describing the false teachers. Now, I understand why you can do that. You can make an argument to do that. But my, my problem with it is if you just make it all a description of the false teachers, like most do, they end up ignoring the purpose of the book. Because now it becomes more about what? Describing the false teachers so that the people in the church won't follow the false teachers, which I think violates the purpose of the book. Right? That's, that's at least my, that's my theory. But that's, that's one. So if you want to go with that one, go for it. Right? 4 to 19, it, all it is, you group it all together and say it all describes the false teachers. And that's how many, most sermons do it. I, you, you, you can just spend, you can, you can go try. Look, here's what happened. When I first wrote my first outline, I tried it. Right? I tried it. I, I grouped it all. I said, and then I started reading each verse, and I'm like, that's, how is that describing the false teacher? I, I, I disagree. But, and that's why I changed my outline, right? But I understand that's where most, that's where most go. That's perfectly okay, all right? A second option, all right? Four, once again, to possibly, uh, four to possibly 19, you connect the remember verses with the description verses. So you take four to 19 and somehow you connect the remember. I, I think there's remembrance and description. Somehow group it together and then make it all fit together. Right? You try to keep it distinct, but you put them all together in some way. Right? You can try, you can try that. I think once again, you're going to end up possibly merging the ideas so much together that you forget the purpose of the book. Right? But you can try that. If you want to do that, you can say, this is the remember, this is the description, this is the remember, this is the description. And then, but what ultimately happens is you try to connect the description with the remembrance, you're probably going to have to go look up the remembrance, find the key elements from the remembrance, come back and see how that connects to the description, and then put it together, which the minute you do that, you just stopped what? Outlining and you started studying and interpreting. 
All right. But if you can do that, great. If you can do that with just Jude, great. Just don't go back and look at the stories in any way, shape or form. Okay. so that that's another possibility. So four to 19, all description, four to 19 description and remembrance. And you just group it all together or you do this. You separate and you separate because you have different concepts and you have different purposes. And here is now me trying to prove my hypothesis, right? Here we go. First, I want you to notice the definition of remembrance versus the definition of description. Remember is to bring to one's mind an awareness of someone or something that one has seen, known, or experienced in the past. To provide a remembrance is to do what? Is to provide information about something that happened where? In the past. It is to look back. You're not looking in the present. You're looking backwards. Right? And verse 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance. Verse 17, but beloved, the reason I call it a remembrance is because it comes directly from the text, which is how do I typically do my outlining? From the text, all right? So he's reminding them. Now the question is, he's pointing to the past to remind them, right? Now, what's a description? A description is spoken or written representation Uh, or account of a person or event. The description in Jude points to where? Not the past, but to the present. The remembrance looks back. The description looks to the present. And what is he describing? The man who had crept into the church unawares. So he reminds them of the past, and describes the men of the present. Different, those are completely different concepts. No, they're different concepts. I believe they both have a different purpose. I believe they have a different purpose. All right? As I put in my, in my notes, here we go. The reminders are designed to look to the past to motivate action in the present. The reminders are are designed to look to the past to motivate action in the present. How does verse 5 begin? I will therefore. Therefore is connected to what comes before. What happens in verse 4? He gives them the reason for the book. Certain men have crept in unawares and I want you to do what? To contend. Therefore, how am I going to get you to contend? Verse 5. I will put you in remembrance. It's a completely different purpose. Putting in remembrance is different. It has a different, it's a different concept. And it has a different purpose. And I believe, and, and remember, I should have already given you this. When we started back in March, I said that sometimes... In outlining, right, you can group verses together, like one through four, and you can do it in order.
But I said, and, my, and I stated this in March, that you can't do that with Jude. I, 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 thought we had, I, I thought we had already come to, I, I, well, I know I'd come to an agreement. I'd already made it clear that I did not go with the idea that I could group things together here, that I was going to have to break them into categories because I didn't think it worked. Because the reason why, listen to my thinking, a remembrance is different than a description and it has a different purpose than the description. So I grouped the reminders together this way. Are you ready? Verse 5. What's the reminder in verse 5? Israel coming out of Egypt, right? Six. Angels, seven. Son Gomorrah, nine. Michael, verse 11. Cain, Balaam, and Kor, right? Now, I have so much to say, but, but there's a description there. It, one verse can accomplish two different things, right? But clearly, it's a reminder to past events, right? In fact, when I read that, that verse makes no sense unless I can do what? Unless I know the story. In most cases, what are you going to have to do with all of these reminders? You're going to have to go look them up. And now, if you think you're, you're an expert and you could just outline all of the details, by all means, go for it. But most of us are going to have to look back and go, hmm, okay, what happened here? But I can call it a reminder because he says, I'm going to put you in. And then he gives them examples of things in the, which is a remembrance, right? It, it seems to fit. It seems to fit. Okay. So, all right. So we got five, six, seven, nine, eleven. Then how about verse 14? Enoch, he's going to give us the uh, prophecy of Enoch, yes? All right, that goes all the way down to verse 15. And then we have in verse, what's the reminder in 17? Okay, remember the words. Again, words that have already been spoken or written. Yeah, all right. So all, all reminders. Now, what's the purpose of the reminder? The purpose of the reminder is to look to the past to motivate action in the present. What action is he trying to motivate? To contend. The reminder is to get them to contend. And what should they gain from these reminders? What happens in every reminder? Judgment. Now, you can either interpret that, hey, Hey, again, I'll use Twyla's example. Twyla, Twyla, you see all this judgment? Be careful. These false teachers don't. That makes no sense because what's the purpose of the book? Not to warn her, but to exhort her to contend. Right? That's the whole purpose. What's the purpose of the book? To get you to contend. So the reminder is to remind her of the past to motivate Right? Everybody got that? To motivate. Now, the descriptions. What are the descri- descriptions? Do what? They, are, they're des- they, uh, they have you look at something so that you can understand it. Or, would be another way? A description is there to help you identify. Right? If Twyla's like, hey, I'm trying to find this house in Abilene, and I, I'm like, okay, oh, that house. Okay, well, it's, it's interesting. It has a blue roof, and it's pink. I'm describing it so that you can easily identify or find it. That's different than a reminder. 
different purpose. Now, why would then he take the... Look at the descriptions. Look at verse um, 8. What's the description in 8? Now, I am very aware that it says likewise. And I'm not ignoring likewise. Likewise means there possibly is a connection to the reminder. The only problem is for me to do that, I've got to go study each reminder and then go, how does that connect back to here? And then that's what I'm going to do in my study. Not in the outline. I'm not ignoring the likewise. That's why I've got it written down as a description. Because we're going to, st- remember what the goal was? I, I already, I, I gave it clear what we were going to do. We were going to study all the reminders. Then we're going to go back and study all of the descriptions. And do you think if there's a connection, it would not have been clearly identified at that point? It just wouldn't have been identified where? And the outline, because my outline helps me see what? There's reminders and descriptions. I'm going to keep them separate so I can clearly see different purpose, different concepts, right? That's, what I, that's, that's the reason I went with this. So let's go through all the descriptors, right? Remember the reminders? 5, 6, 7, 9, 11, 14 through 15, and 17. The descriptions, or the, however you want to call it, the descriptions, the descriptors, however you want to call it. Verse 8. Right? Someone read out some of the descriptions. All right, verse 10. And just look carefully at some of the key things that, like verse 8, likewise also these, speaking about people where? In the present. Verse uh, 10, but these. He's no longer reminding. He's pointing to the present. The people sitting in the pew next to you. But these. It has a specific purpose. It has a specific reason. Verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam. Now this seemingly is connecting those present with this reminder, so I got no problem referring to this as a description and a reminder. But I'm going to se- I'm going to study them as separate because guess what? I'm going to have to go back and do what? I'm going to go back and have to study each one of them. What are the What are the We have Cain, Balaam, and Kor. Now I did hours of study on Balaam just recently on the podcast. And what did we realize? When you actually study Balaam, it's really confusing because in the story, he almost kind of comes across as the hero, but he's not the hero. So the story itself is confusing because there's a talking donkey and all the other craziness going on it. So I've got to go back, even going back and studying it the last time I did, I'm still perplexed by that story. So how I'm going to put this together here is going to require a little bit of work. Like, I'm, I'm not going to be able to just draw the conclusion here. I'm going to have to go back and, and study it, which is perfectly what we're supposed to do. Verse 12. These, once again, where is he pointing? To the pre- You see why I'm drawing, I'm separating them? One is past, one is present. One is reminding to motivate, one is identifying. It, it's completely different concepts, completely different purposes. Look at verse 13. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. 
This is clearly describing the people present. And do you think that every one of those descriptions, I mean, you can make an argument. I guess you could try this, but it's going to require a lot of work. I will challenge you. You take every one of these descriptions and you try to connect them specifically to everything, uh, to the reminders. Some of this, I think you're going to be like, where does that come from? And the minute that starts breaking down, guess what happens to your outline if you group them together? And I know because I tried. I tried. I was like, okay, wait a minute. Okay, wandering star. Okay, you say, how do I, how do I, okay, how do I fit this together? Now, you can try. Sometimes you're really reaching. But you know what? I don't have to try to reach if I just say, here's the description, here's the reminder. Maybe there's a connection. If there's a connection, what will I do? Identify where? In the study. All right, verse 16. What, once again, what do you hear? These, what is he talking about? The present are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Again, I got to try to, which, which reminder do I connect that to, right? If I keep trying to connect them to the reminders, I'm telling you, it's going to become more and more a stretch, more and more like, oh man, I'm reaching there. I'm really reaching. I'm re-. And the minute you have to start reaching, what should that tell you? Warning, 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 warning. I don't have to reach anywhere if I do what? Keep them separate. Right? Different purpose, different everything, okay? And then verse 19. What do we have in verse 19? These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. Okay, what do you see in 18? How that they told you there should be mockers in the last times who should walk. You could say there's some descriptions there. It is t- saying about what they told you in the past, but it is possibly described. It's one of the you could put in both categories. You could put in both categories, right? Because he is saying re- the words, but, he is to, but those words are to remind them of what's coming. Okay, so you could, you could do both, right? But I still want to separate them. Why do I want to separate them? Different purpose, different everything. All right, so that is my, let's go through this. What's the hermeneutical key? To get them to contend for the faith. All right, I cannot stress this enough. That hermeneutical key is the whole reason I outline the way I outline because the key is obliterated by almost every, every sermon I've heard. It's like, you, there's the first sermon, and so I, I did this on Sunday afternoon. I did the introductory sermon from Dr. Albert Moeller at Southwestern Seminary, right? And it sounded so good. Contend for the faith, contend for the faith. Then I went to the next sermon, where he grouped it all together. And the next thing you know, it turned into a sermon against be, be, war, be careful of going after strange flesh and be, be, be careful of the sin of homosexuality because it's coming to the church. And I'm like, the same, guy just, uh, the same yeah, yeah, same guy. And I'm like, what, what just happened? What just happened? Don't you remember the purpose of the book? 
Don't you remember the purpose of the book? And then I realized, guess what he'd done with his outline that everybody else does? <laughs> group it together. Now, I'm not saying grouping it together has to lead to that. But if it, if it even possible in doing that, then what should I do in my outline? Do everything in my power to just make sure that things are observed in such a way that it contains no interpretation and what can I do? Can I see the greeting at the beginning of the book? Do I see that the author is identified? Do I see that the recipients are identified? How are the recipients identified? Do I see the blessing placed upon them? All right. That's, that nobody has a problem with that. Do I see the purpose of the book clearly given? Yeah. I see the purpose and I see the reason for the purpose. The purpose is I need you to contend. The reason is because people have crept in unaware. All right. Now, immediately, what does he say he's going to do? I'm going to put you in remembrance. Now, I have to ask myself, why would he put them in remembrance? Let me see here. To motivate them, because what did he say when he said uh, to contend for the faith? I earnest, what does he say? I exhort you. Is that Earnestly contend for the faith. I exhort you. Remember we looked up that word? Beg, plead, to contend. So if he's begging and pleading, what, again, what does it require to get someone to do something? You need them to be motivated and you've got to help identify what they need to do, right? If, if, I look at, if I look at the kids, I'm like, okay, guys, I need you to go wash my car, right? I've got to what, motivate them to do it, right? Let's see how much money do I have, okay? All right, that may motivate them, right? And then what do I need to do? Uh, hopefully, I identify the right car, right? Or they go out there going, I don't know. I mean, there's not like our parking lot's full or anything, but okay. But they have to, it's the silver car, right? Okay, it's, I, I had to identify it, right? Well, guess what? If I'm going to get you to contend for the faith, what do I need to do? Motivate you. I think the motivation is contend with these people because they're going to be destroyed. And if I'm going to, once I motivate you, what do I need to do? Do you contend with Emma? Or with Sarah? With Seth or with Stephen? Just all of them, okay? Just content with all of them, okay? All right? So I think that's why I separate them. Now, if you want to put them together and link them together, fine. But I, all I say, you have to do it with no looking anything else up. Because if you start looking, if you're going back to the stories going, hmm, well, you know, if you look at that, that fits that reminder, but does it fit all the reminders? And if you find any reminders that are not linked, then guess what's going to happen? You're going to have reminder, description, linked, but then you're going to have descriptions that are not linked. So then you're going to have this reminder, description, and a description not linked to a reminder. Why not just separate them, and then guess what you have? An easy observation. And then once I have the observation, what can I do with the observation? Then I can roll up my, well, I don't have sleeves to roll up. I can roll up my sleeves and then do what? Let's study the reminders. Let's study the descriptors. And then when we're done, we can go, did you notice anything? And someone will say, well, I think it's interesting that that reminder seemed to really fit that. And I'm like, that's a good observation based off study. Right? 
Then we do what? We connect it. Does that make sense? That's why I separated them. That's why I separate. Again, I know nobody agrees with me. I understand. I don't think there's a book here. They all group it together. Boom, 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 right? And they don't even do subpoints. They're just like, four to 19, one thing. Right? They don't even try. I mean, I, I, think, the, I think maybe the most subpoints I can find is... Well, not even really sub, actually, not even really sub points. Okay, maybe they don't even have sub points. Okay, they, they just group it all together like, it's this, right? Okay, so like if you describe, if, if, in other words, this all describes the false teachers and then just anything that sounds like it's describing the false teacher, it does. Look, we even, uh, I think we even witnessed this. Go to, back to Jude. All right, oh man, we're going to run out of time. That's okay. Go back to Jude. I don't remember who said it, and I don't remember in what context, but we, we were trying last week to study which verse? Verse 9, right? And what I simply wanted to demonstrate is that the reminders are in 5, 6, and 7, and then we have to skip and go to 9, and because I, I had already made the argument that we're not going to go specifically in order, Right? Okay, so then we were looking at nine and then there seemed to be some confusion and I was getting more confused. But yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring him a railing accusation. Someone said, well, a railing accusation, that describes the false teachers. And I was like, what just happened? What the, the verse doesn't say any. I'm like, what's happening? What's happening? I don't understand. Okay. What, 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 what's being done in verse 9? Of, of what happened with Michael the archangel? And who's, and what happens here in the story? It's saying something he didn't do. It's not saying something that the false teachers did. And I'm like, how are we getting so confused here? Like, I, at this point, I realize, I don't know what, I, I, I was just take, I, I don't, I just, I don't know, I'm leaving. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Okay, it, 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 it felt like probably how math teachers felt when they tried to teach me math. They're like, we've been through this a hundred times. You're an idiot. Get out. Okay, I'm like, I can't understand. I, that's how it, I, I didn't know what to do. I mean, how did we, I, I don't understand. So let's just briefly look at verse 9. Just briefly, all right? Just briefly. Because, uh, did, did, look, I'm not asking for agreement. I just want you to at least, I tried to show my work, right? Because I hear that in math you have to do that, which made no sense. Why should I have to show my work when my, the person sitting next to me had the right answer? I don't need to show my work, right? Okay, my calculator had it for me. Siri had it for me. I shouldn't have. But in theology, I believe you have to show your work, okay? In math, you don't. But in theology, you do. And I, I just wanted to show my work, at least to support my hypothesis and my thesis. Every conclusion is a hypothesis and thesis in theology because everyone's going to disagree with it. But that's okay, right? So what's going on? So I'm going to just go with my, my, my thesis, we have the reminder in four. What's the emphasis in the reminder in four? Or I'm sorry, five. 
What's the emphasis of the reminder in verse 5? I'm using a different Bible. Let me go back to my other Bible. All the verses are out of whack. Okay, here we go. Yeah, the, em- the emphasis is judgment. Hey, I'm going to remind you how Israel was judged. Who's going to be judged in the context? The people who are contending? No. Is he warning the people contending that they're going to be judged if they follow the false teachers? No. I'm getting you to contend because those who don't believe the false teachers, because they deny the Lord, remember? Okay, in verse 4, they're going to be judged. So I'm motivating you to go contend. If if I make, uh, I was going to say Emma, if I make Lydia the false teacher, hey, I need you to contend with her. She's going to be destroyed. Here's a good reminder. Next verse. The angels. Okay, they're judged. Seven, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's judged. Eight, We've got a description. Now, nine. What is the point of nine? First of all, nobody really knows what in the world the story is. We don't have almost any information. We have none. So nobody knows what's going on. So let's look at it just quickly. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Now, here we go. Based on that verse, what's the purpose of the reminder? He's, re- he's given a motivation to contend. Is he possibly now giving him instruction and in how to contend? Right? Because he gives an example. You have my, who are the two characters? Michael and the devil. Okay. Are, they, are they having a problem? They're having a problem. Does the verse use the word contend? Oh, no, it can't. There's no way it could use the word contend because that's not the purpose of the book. Okay. No, contend is the purpose. So if he gives them an example, a reminder of a, con- of a contending that happened somewhere in the past between an archangel and Satan. Now, Satan is what? Bad. Okay? He's the antagonist in the story. Would everyone agree? He's the hill, using wrestling terminology. He's the bad guy. He's the, he's the greatest Bond villain of all Bond villains. Whatever villain you need, he's the bad guy, Right? And Mark, uh, the archangel is the super good guy. He's the baby face using wrestling. He's, he, he's the protagonist, right? He's, he's everything that you need in storytelling, right? I mean, you've got the best good guy and you've got the worst bad guy. And now what are they contending over? We don't know what in the world's going on there. Okay? But they're fighting over the body of Moses. Now, because... Michael, the archangel, is contending with such a horrible bad guy, you think that he could do what? He could walk up, you piece of garbage. You satanic garbage. You're, and just offer rail, railing accusations against him. Just say all kinds of mean and demeaning things. And you would be like, come on, say some more, talk some more trash. But he did not offer a railing accusation. Do all translations use the term railing accusation? 
Oh, now that even gets even more, right? Yes, this translation I have here is, all right, yet when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he dared not utter a slanderous condemnation against him. When we are contending with people, what do we not do? A slanderous accusation. Do this. Look up the Greek word for railing in the King James. You can use the Blue Letter Bible app. We'll have to do this quickly. Okay? A blasphemous judgment. A slanderous judgment. Well, what do, what do you think this means? Because clearly this is telling us something we can't do. Yeah, railing. Slander. Injurious, yeah. To another's good name. Reproachful speech. All right, so if you're contending, if you're contending with Lydia, right, this is telling you what you can't do to her. What can you not do to her? Yeah, but we, you can't, oh, Okay, you got to be really careful in saying God says this about you or God says that. You got to be very careful about what you put in the mouth of God. We never want to do that. That would be horrible. Okay, what else can you can't do? There's a right way to contend, and there's put it this way. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. Put it, let me state it this way: slander typically deals with what? Look up the definition of slander. Look up the definition of slander. Just the English definition of slander. Okay, you cannot make a defamatory or false report. Now, typically, how does slander work? Okay, Twyla is, gonna, is contending with Lydia. Twyla texts Stacy and says, hey, guess what Lydia thinks? Guess what Lydia's doing? Guess what Lydia believes? Guess, and guess what she's doing? In a sense now, she's bringing an evil report against Lydia to someone else who doesn't even need to know. There's an appropriate place and time to let other people know. Typically, who are you to let know? Well, if you're continuing with her and you know she's got a messed up false doctrine, you may have to look at her and go, hey, look, I don't know what's going on, but I just know that there's no way that, that, say, pastor would be in line with that doctrine, and if you're believing it and you're telling other people, I'm going to have to tell Pat. You let her know what you're going to do, and you may even say, you can come with me so that you don't believe that I'm giving a false report, and you say, hey, here's Lydia. Tell her, tell him what you believe. And then Lydia can like, I'm a witch, and I do you know, animal sacrifices at midnight, and I'm going to kill my husband, and I'll be like, okay, maybe you should stop playing the piano. Okay? Okay, maybe. maybe just, and maybe you should get far away from me, okay? And and Seth, run, okay? And Lincoln, Levi, come on, let's get out of here, okay? All right, whatever the case may be, right? Okay, but I, it, that, that would be an appropriate place to go. But you don't do what? Boom, 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 hot on the internet going, did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? Now you're just, in other words, there's a correct way to do so. 
If Michael the archangel did not give a slanderous condemnation, we can't. Because I'm assuming we're not better than an archangel. And you say, but you don't know how bad Lydia is. Okay, she may be bad. I'm not sure she's at Satan level. Right? Maybe close, but not Satan level. So this would be, the reminder here would be for what purpose? Motivate and teach in how to do so. There's a correct way in contending. We think contending is just hopping on, in 2022, contending is hopping on Twitter and just putting people on full-blown blast. There's a right way and a correct way, right? Now, some things are public and some things deserve a public criticism, but there you're not going after the person, right? Like, if, if I, I don't have a, let me see here, do I have an example here? I've got to have a, a, a one here somewhere. Okay, maybe, somewhere under the pulpit. Let's see, what do I have here? Um, Okay, yeah, I'll just use this. All right, here's Our Sufficiency in Christ by MacArthur. Now, if I find something in the book that's messed up, and I critique it, analyze it, and condemn it, what am I not doing? I'm not condemning, I'm not speaking of him, I'm speaking of the ideals put forward. Now, if I take the book, which I've been guilty of, and you've probably been guilty of, the guy's an idiot! Right? Now, I did what? Slanderous... And, and, and not handling it in a correct way. We've all done that, right? You've probably done it to me a couple of times in the car, right? Man, I don't know what his issue is, right? Jerk, idiot, whatever the case may be, right? Okay, well, that, that's a kind of a railing accusation. It's a slanderous accusation. That's not, it, we do it, look, we don't even do it to people who are, we don't even do it to people who are, you're not even to do it to Satan, so that means you shouldn't do it, well, hopefully to other people in your church or to other professing believers. There's a right way to go about it. All right? Now, we'll have to stop there, and that brings us to where? What's the next reminder? Cain, Balaam, and Kor. Okay? And we just have to basically do what? We just need the basic element of the story. Now, the problem is, what's the problem here from an interpretive purpose? We've got to do research, but the major issue here is you don't know which part of the story that they're focusing on, right? Balaam, there's a lot going on, right? He kind of listens to God, and then God seems to get all confused. Go. No, don't go. go. Why are you going? You told me to go. Okay, what's, I don't understand, right? Hey, don't go with the guys. Now, there's an angel there that's going to kill him. I thought you told me to go, right? Like, that story is so weird. He tells him to go, and then God's like, I'm mad that you're going, what just happened? Like, you've got to go read these stories to go, okay, so what exactly did Balaam do here? Because he just gives the names. Kor, like, he just gives, here it is. And then you've got, he gives a little description, right? What does he say about uh, Cain? The way, all right, what's the way of Cain? Next. So we've got... The, Okay, so Balaam's trying to do something for a reward, but you look at the story. It, it gets really hard to even figure it out. Next. 
Right. So he gives us a little hint of what he wants us to, but we're still going to have to go look back at the story and focus in on what? That specific part and go, okay, here, he's reminding us of these things. Now, in all three cases, though, what happens? Judgment. So we're right back to that. Okay. So there's the mulligan. It doesn't count on the scorecard. I don't know if it accomplished anything, but there we have it. Okay? So what we're going to do is we will proceed looking at all the reminders. Then we'll come back and look at all the descriptions. After we've done that, then guess what we will do? We will look to see if there's connection between some. If there's a clear connection, we will connect them. If there's not a clear connection, it doesn't hurt our outline. Isn't that amazing? Because I don't think you're going to find a clear connection between all of them. Maybe I'm going to be proven wrong, but I think sometimes you're going to have to re- go, I think, right there, right there, I think it fits. And it's going to be like, I guarantee you, for everyone that you say fits, there's going to be someone in the church who's going to say, it doesn't fit. By separating it, I don't have to worry about that, right? Because my outline still stays pristine and untouched by corrupt hands. But guess what is never pristine and always corrupted by ungodly hands? Our interpretation. You would hope our outline is never corrupted because if we can't get an outline right, hermeneutics is done. Hermeneutics is finished. It's over. There's no hope of, if we can't come up with an outline, we can't, if you can't agree on an outline, you can definitely never agree on an interpretation. Now, I know I disagree with all the books, but that's, that's the way, that, that's at least my reasoning. That's my reasoning. That's my reasoning because of the hermeneutical key, which is to get you to contend for the faith by motivating you and then identifying the people you need to contend with. There's the book of Jude, and I hope nobody online has asked any questions, but if they have, I'm not answering any questions. All right, there we go. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to do this over. I hope this provides some kind of clarity, and I know that my approach to this book departs from what many have done with the book, but Lord, I hope that We understand what the purpose of this letter was and that we apply that purpose to our interpretation and then we act upon that interpretation and we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...